Yesterday, our church went out and did a Serve the Cities project over with uh, 180 at the Hope Center and then also uh, at a home where there was uh, some landscaping done and there was uh, uh, parts of a swing set put together anyway. I don't think they ended up getting finished with it. But I just think that it's great how God uses those opportunities for people to be able to connect because I was able to have such great conversations with people yesterday that um, I didn't really know that well. And now I feel like I know them quite a bit better. And also uh, was able to meet people at the outreach that men, uh, just to be quite honest, uh, hadn't met before. And it was really amazing. There were actually a couple of people there who have only come to BCC just a few times, and they said, you know what, even though we've only been here just a couple of times, we still want to show up, and we want to serve, and we want to help out and be a part, and I was able to meet those people. And so church, it's really important that when we serve God together, that man, it helps connect us in a different way than us just assembling on a Sunday morning and us just being able to know each other at that level. That's great. It's great for us to be able to know each other and connect on Sunday, worship, and have a great, awesome time together, hear the word preached. But man, when you really start serving with other people, it really gives us an opportunity to connect on a different level to where you can really get to know someone and serve with them because we need community. One of our core values at BCC is that relationships are our priority. And the reason we say that It's not just because we want you to know people, it goes deeper than that. You see, we're called to be disciple makers and we're called to be disciples of Jesus, amen? And in order for discipleship to really happen at any level, we have to have relationships and connections. So that's why we prioritize connecting. That's why we prioritize building relationships, not just because you need something else to fill your calendar or you need another thing to go do and be a part of your busy rhythm and your busy schedule. We know that discipleship is the call that Jesus has given all of us. It's this great commission to both be a disciple and to be a disciple maker. And so one of the best ways to do that is through building relationships because discipleship happens best in the context of relationships because that's where trust is built. That's where we're able to get to know other people. That's where we're able to serve. That's where you get to just sit down with people and and maybe get your hands dirty a little bit and you get to know them in a different way. And so it's so important for us to prioritize those things. And it gets us outside of our comfort zone. It gets us outside of this bubble that we'll call it today. And we're going to talk about that today because then social pressures are a reality that all of us face. We have to deal with it. We have to interact at a certain level, no matter who you are. And there's pressures around interactions. There's pressures around relationships. There's pressures around expectations and perceptions of society. This pressure does affect every one of us differently. So we're not all impacted necessarily by this the same, but this bubble that exists is kind of this safe place that either we have created or either that exists within our circles that we may want to just camp out in and we may want to live in. Because, man, if, if I could just stay in this bubble, it makes me feel safe. I retreat to it often when I'm challenged or when I feel that there's something too difficult for me to deal with and we can get really comfortable staying in this bubble because we may not know how to respond to the pressures we're facing. We may not know how to deal with the challenge in front of us. And we all just really ultimately want to feel safe. We want to feel like everything is okay. And the bubble itself isn't bad because, man, there's times that you need to go to a place of healing, of refreshing, recharging. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But oftentimes, as we follow Jesus and as we're living as lights in the darkness and as we're living in a world that, man, it seems there's pressures all around us, the temptation is to just live in the bubble because the world's mean and scary and I don't want to go deal with it, you know? Or it's so frustrating because it's so different than what I value or so different than what I want in my life or for my family. And so the temptation is to live inside of this bubble and to try to pad this bubble with everything that just makes me feel safe, everything that makes me feel good. And I don't want to have to deal with anything that challenges me or that I disagree with or that's difficult. I want to avoid as much as that as possible. But it can turn into something really unhealthy 
if we live in this bubble and all we do is try to exist in this kind of Christian subculture safety bubble area because it causes us to draw battle lines and we begin to look less through a lens of the gospel and we start to look more through a distorted lens. And when we start looking through a distorted lens where it's us versus them and we begin to look at people that way instead of seeing people as someone that Jesus died for. We start seeing them more of an enemy because this CEO of this corporation that's very anti-Christian, well, they're the enemy or this person or that person who behaves in this way or, or this figure or that figure. Man, they're making life on earth really miserable or they're very against the gospel. We began to say this person all of a sudden is an enemy and now we're looking at them less through the lens of the gospel And we're looking at it more through the lens of our bubble. And we're not looking at people the way that Jesus looks at people when he died on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what it is that they're they're doing. We begin to draw these battle lines and this lens, it it hinders our impact. It hinders our message. It hinders, actually, it affects and impacts our humility. So how can we stay balanced? in our lives to still it's okay to be recharged refresh have that retreat have that place have those relationships but also to understand that we are called to be representatives of christ in the world but not necessarily make decisions that compromise our values and our beliefs and who we are how do we do that man that's a hard thing that all of us are facing let's look at this in galatians chapter 1 As we continue our series, we're going verse by verse through the book of Galatians. If this is your first time here, if you missed last week, man, I would really encourage you to go back and to listen to or watch last week's message because it's going to help you give some more context to what's happening here in Galatia. This is the Apostle Paul who is writing this letter to this church that has been infiltrated with this message from the Judaizers. And this message is one where the Judaizers are trying to present an offer to the church in Galatia that, yes, Jesus is important. Yes, you need Jesus, but you also need to become a Jewish practitioner. You need to become a Jew who is following Jesus in the way that Jewish people follow uh, God and the way that, so follow Jesus in this way by bringing in all of these extra pieces of historical religious Judaism because if you do those things and you trust in Jesus, well then you're truly righteous or right in the eyes of God. And so they were adding something additional to the gospel other than Jesus saying, yes, Jesus, but also all these other things and all these other boxes you need to check in your life by following the law, being circumcised, by eating a kosher diet, observing the Sabbath, all these other rhythms that they had instituted. They said you had to do both of these things in order to truly be right in the eyes of God. And Paul is just, he's amazed. He's upset. He's frustrated. Because he brought them this pure message of salvation only through Jesus, not Jesus plus something else. He brought them this pure gospel. And now they have abandoned this pure gospel because they're chasing after this gospel that's mixed in with all these other things that they can check these boxes in order to feel right in the eyes of God. And so Paul writes this letter to the church in Galatia. And we left off last week in verse 10. So we got 10 verses into it last week. So we're going to get a little further than that today. Um, We'll get 11 verses today. No, I'm kidding. We'll get more than that. All right, so let's start off by reading Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. He says this. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. He said... For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, Jesus showed me this. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, 
nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, or Peter, and I remained with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. The only, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. In order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked us to do was remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. So here we see the Apostle Paul, man. He's trying to make an argument and a defense for his calling, for his ministry. And he starts off by saying, listen, the gospel that I shared with you guys, it wasn't something that I learned in school. It wasn't something that any man taught me. This was brought to me by revelation through Jesus Christ. He said, I was actually, if you remember, I was the guy who was on the other team. I was trying to advance Judaism. I was actually trying to advance the very thing that these Judaizers are trying to do. I was actually an enemy of the church of Jesus. I was actually someone who was trying to persecute the church. I was trying to get this thing squelched. I was trying to make it come to an end. I was trying to destroy it, Paul said. He said, so so remember who I was when you think about what I've shared with you, how I've brought now this message that, man, it wasn't something taught to me by any man. I didn't receive it from any man. He's giving validity to this idea of presenting the gospel And this idea of the gospel that they had received as being pure. And then he talks about this interesting thing where he says, I went and talked to the different disciples of Jesus, like some of the original crew, the original guys. He said, and in that conversation, these guys extended the right hand of fellowship to me. And what that means is that they're saying, what you're doing is of God. It lines up. It agrees. And we believe that you have been called by Jesus, anointed by him to be an apostle with us. So they were acknowledging Paul's authority. They were acknowledging his role, not like he's like a second-class apostle, you know. They're saying, no, we're all on the same level so far as the authority that's been entrusted to us by Jesus Christ himself and also the message that's been entrusted to us. So they extended this right hand of fellowship. They're acknowledging the validity of the gospel. And so Paul's trying to say, hey, here's the deal. Like, the message I'm preaching to you, it's pure, It's in line with what the other disciples are preaching. I'm not bringing you something different. I'm bringing you the same message they're bringing. He said the only difference is, is that Peter and some of these other guys are called to go to those of the circumcision, those that are Jews. So they were primarily called by Jesus to go and to share the gospel with Jewish people. Paul said they agreed and affirmed that my calling was to go out to the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people and to share the gospel with those people. So it's the same message, just a different tactic because you've got to deal with different issues because when you're talking to the Jews, you've got to deal with all those historical pieces and all the things that they know and all the religious rites and practices that they had. And then with the Gentiles, you've got to deal with a whole other mindset, a whole other thinking. And so he said, that's the only difference is that I was called to the Gentiles... They were called over here, but it's the same gospel. The only thing they asked me to do 
is just remember the poor, which I was very willing to do. And so here's what the gospel does, church. The true gospel of Jesus Christ, it levels the playing field. It levels the playing field. I need you to get this. Because if we don't understand that the gospel levels the playing field, then we're going to be thinking in class systems in our mind. We're going to be thinking in people who have lived a pretty good life, done pretty good things, made pretty good choices, and Jesus kind of, you know, enhances life. Jesus gives us life 2.0, you know. We were doing pretty good, but Jesus kind of like adds just a little, I don't know, a little je ne sais quoi, a little, 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 little something extra, a little spice, you know. And that's how a lot of people look at Christianity. And they look at following Jesus as something that they need only if they recognize that maybe they want to become a better person in their life. And you'll hear people say things like this. I remember when I lived in Wisconsin, there was this lady who owned a coffee shop that was just a couple blocks from the church that I pastored. And I used to love to go to this coffee shop because it was close, and she made really good stuff. So win-win. And so I'd walk over there all the time, and I would just visit with her sometimes. You know, I was a regular. You know, I would go in there all the time. And this lady was not a believer, and she made no bones about that. And so we were having very open and honest conversations about her life and about Jesus and about where she was. And then she gets married. She um, uh, becomes expectant. And so as I'm talking to her, I'm trying to maybe use this opportunity of her thinking about her child to maybe share the gospel because now she's thinking a little bigger than herself. And, and I'm trying to help her understand that and talking to her. And she always would welcome the conversation. And I wasn't beating her up or trying to make her feel guilty or bad. I just wanted to figure out where she was. And this is what she would always say at the end of the conversation. She'd always say, well, Derek, that's all great. And some people need church. I'm just not one of those people. And I think that that mentality of, Derek, I don't need church. Some people need that, but I'm not one of those people. I think there's a certain mentality that people have towards the message of the gospel. They think that it's only for a certain group of people. They think that it's only for people who maybe don't have their life together and who are trying to become a better person, you know. Or maybe it's just for CrossFitters, you know, because CrossFitters are crazy by nature anyways. And, you know, they're always looking for some way to enhance their life, right, you know. It's like, and you guys that are CrossFitters, you know you, you're nuts, and we know you are. I am not one, so I'm just <laughs> letting you know that. But, but like these people are just like, oh, I got to work out, got to do like a thousand burpees and, you know, like uh, climb things and do all this crazy, you know, hit cardio. We got to do all this stuff and all these crazy workouts. And they're like, well, maybe it's just for those kind of people that are always looking to try to gain an edge and trying to be better at life and trying to enhance and improve their life. And so what this coffee shop owner was basically in essence saying is that eh, I'm kind of happy where I'm at. I'm okay. I'm good. I feel like I'm making good choices. I mean, I'm not stealing from people. I'm running, you know, a nice little business. I'm making an honest living. You know, I'll try to make good choices and be a good moral upright citizen. And some people reduce the gospel to morality. They reduce the gospel to just being a nice person. They reduce the gospel to just trying to live a certain way and trying to, you know, work within the confines of society and be a loving, kind, generous person. Well, church, you can be a kind, loving, generous person and live your entire life and your entire eternity separated from God. And there's a lot of people that do that. There's a lot of people who do not know Jesus, who reject the gospel, that are nice people, that are good, honest, moral people that want to live an ethical life. So it's not just about morals and ethics. That's a part of it, sure, but that's not... The, th the, the whole gospel is not wrapped up in morality. Morality should come from this place of wanting to serve God and live for God as he works on my heart and as he changes me. And some people have this idea that the gospel is just for people maybe who have a lot of issues, a lot of challenges, or are just looking for ways to improve. But what the gospel actually does is it levels the playing field. Because what the gospel says is that all of us, every one of us who have ever sinned, and that's everyone... We've all fallen short of God's glory. 
every one of us, no matter how moral you've been, no matter how good you've been, no matter how well you've behaved, no matter if you have spent time, you know, going through a lot of difficult challenges in your life, no matter what you've been addicted to, no matter what uh, your story is, how dark it may be, how shocking it may be, or how clean and tidy that it may be. It doesn't matter. We all have the same need because there is no one who does not need oxygen. We all share that same need, right? We all need that same thing. We need to breathe. All of us have a shared need. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what uh, background you have. It doesn't matter what, what addictions you've wrestled with throughout life. Everybody needs to breathe. We all understand we need to breathe. And in the same way, we all, every one of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So therefore, we all need a Savior, every one of us, not just some of us. And so Paul understands that this isn't just for the Jews, and that's the beauty of the gospel. This isn't just for Jewish people. No, there's a certain strategy, a certain approach to Jewish people that needs to be taken. And yeah, Peter and some of the other guys, that's kind of what their specialty is. But Paul says, I'm called to have a different specialty. I'm focused more on these Gentiles, but it's still the same gospel. It's not like there's a different gospel. It's not that that just because there's a different approach, approach, it means that these guys are somehow ahead of you or are better than you or somehow God likes them more than the rest of you because it's not like the Jewish people and the Gentiles, you know, it's like, I guess we'll let them in. That's not the attitude of the, uh, of the reason that Jesus died on the cross. That's not the purpose. The reason is that he's laying, leveling this playing field where we all have the same need. Paul reiterates this. He says, man, this is, this is something that I've received from Jesus himself. And the rest of the disciples said, yeah, we agree with that. And so now Paul is trying to help those who are hearing this letter read in the churches in Galatia, he's trying to help them see, listen, this other message, this other gospel that you're tempted by in order to somehow make and elevate yourselves, this is not the gospel. This is not, this is not something that you need to be pursuing because really the true gospel relies on your need for Christ. Man is always looking for a way to divide so that he can somehow give importance to either himself or to a certain group of people or other people. Man wants to divide us into classes, into caste systems, into socioeconomic tiers. And all of these things divide. And not only do they divide, but the the challenge here within all these divisions is that people begin to primarily associate and be associated with the group they feel most comfortable with. Because everyone's looking for their own little safety bubble. Everyone's wanting to go to their own little group. So you know what? I'm, I'm more comfortable with people who act and talk and think this way and look this way and who have these kinds of stories. I'm not as comfortable with these people over here. And so because of these divisions that exist and these man-made divisions, we feel drawn towards the safety that we've created within this bubble. And the problem is, is that we become prejudiced and we care less about those outside of our bubble. And we can kind of pat ourselves on the back from time to time if we ever connect with someone outside of our bubble, outside of the comforts of what is, oh, well, I did a nice thing for someone who didn't have as much money as me. And so I do this, like, hashtag humble brag. You know, like, I, you know, and I did something nice for someone, this this poor person who, who needed this. You know, I don't want to hang out with them. I don't want to get to know them. I don't want to really have a deep relationship with them, but I'll, you know, on the surface level, at least try to do something. And then now I go back to the safety of my bubble, and I like it there because it's comfortable, it's cozy, everyone looks like me, everyone feels safe, and I feel safe too. You see, that's this idea of pursuing comfort. Christians can do the same thing, man, within our own subculture. We can do the same thing within the context of even uh, our own churches where we get so comfortable. And when you see yourself having a shared need with all of humanity, you think less with a heart of division and more with a heart of compassion. That's what the gospel does. 
the gospel puts our heart in a position where now we're not seeing the divisions as much as we're having a greater degree of compassion instead of just trying to either stay in the bubble or just reinforce the bubble by just trying to get people in my bubble. No, I'm not just trying to bring people in my safety bubble so that I can feel safer. No, I'm, I'm actually stepping out side of what's comfortable. I'm stepping outside of what has been normalized for me. I'm stepping outside of the things that have not challenged me at all. I'm stepping outside of those things on purpose because this heart of compassion has been developed in me through the gospel. You see, it's not just hearing the gospel one time and, oh, I said a prayer or I, I became a Christian, I put my faith in Jesus, and then I'm done with that part of Christianity. You never stop growing in the gospel, ever. Never, never, never. You never stop growing in the gospel. As a matter of fact, the longer that you walk with Jesus, the more you should be realizing your need for him and how he is sufficient to meet your need. And I'm not just talking about food and clothing. No, no, no. Those are things we're not even concerned with. We're talking about the more important things, the eternal bearing things. The fact that I need to be in right standing with God and the only way I can be in right standing with God is through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. That's it. Through his sacrifice. There is nothing else that can place me in right standing with God other than faith in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. There's nothing I could do. There's nothing I could contribute to it. There's nothing I can add. And see, that's what Paul's trying to help them to see. He's like, you guys are trying to add things. You're trying to bring more things in in order for someone to be in right standing. But you see, the gospel levels the playing field Everyone has the same need. And when I stop looking through this lens of division, when I start looking at the gospel for what it truly is, it is the hope that we have. It is a shared hope because we have a shared need. Now all of a sudden, man, all these divisions that kept me in my bubble, they're beginning to disappear because God is working on my heart and I'm seeing people differently. I'm seeing people the way that Jesus saw people when he was hanging on the cross and they were spitting and mocking him and, and they were all of a sudden, you know, throwing things at him, calling him names and next thing you know, Jesus himself, he says, Father, forgive all these people who are doing this stuff because they don't know what they're doing. They're not understanding. I've come for them. I'm, I'm dying for them. You see, we love the story of the thief on the cross because the thief on the cross, the guy who was next to Jesus who was a criminal... He actually placed his faith in Christ, and he asked Christ to save him. He said, would you remember me? I'm putting my trust in you, but you need to understand, Jesus died for the one who rejected him, too, on the other side. You see, Jesus died for both of those men. The difference was not one was better than the other because both were criminals. Both were receiving the punishment that they deserved because of their crimes. The difference was that one saw hope in Jesus. That was the difference. And you see, all of us, all of us, Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And that means all of us deserve to be hanging on that cross, but we didn't have to because Jesus took our place. Jesus did for us what we could never have done because even if we would have died, it still would not have satisfied the wrath of God to bring forgiveness because we've lived a sinful life. It took someone who was sinless to take your place and my place, the blood of the spotless lamb. Amen? Yeah. You see, he's the one who took our place so that we could be free, so we could walk in newness of life. And how do we do this? We do it by faith in Jesus alone. Jesus and nothing else. Because to add something to the gospel of Jesus Christ would be saying that Jesus was somehow inefficient in saving us. That we need Jesus plus these other things. Jesus is sufficient all by his big bad self. Amen? <laughs> Jesus is sufficient. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need us to contribute to the salvation act he has saved us by grace, and it is through faith we receive that. And we trust in his goodness, and we trust in his love, and his mercy, because he's shown it to us. His mercy is new every morning. He's shown us his goodness time and time again. His faithfulness has been proclaimed throughout the ages, and even in our lives, as we look back through the rearview mirror, we see how God has been faithful through and through. And we trust in his goodness, and we trust him by 
faith because we see in his word who he is, what he's done, and we have experienced that love and that forgiveness and that grace. And it changes us. It expands our capacity to have more compassion upon other people and to see less division, to see less of me wanting to retreat to my bubble because of the big, bad, scary world, but now I'm seeing people through the lens of love that Jesus sees them through, the same way he saw me, the same way he saw me when he came and rescued me, and I received his free gift by faith, amen? Let's read a little bit more. Galatians chapter 2, we left off in verse 10. Now let's read in verse 11. It says, but when Cephas, or Peter, when he came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Well, this doesn't sound good, does it? Check this out. This is what happened. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. So Peter was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Uh Uh-oh. So here's Peter. Here's Peter, a proclaimer of the gospel, this disciple of Jesus who's gone out and proclaiming this message, and he has this, this, this message of hope, and he is getting it, man. He's received this revelation from Jesus. He's received this dream about that the gospel is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles, it's for all people, and he's cool with that, and he's eating with the Gentiles, he's hanging out with them until some important people from the Jewish community show up. And then he's like, I'm going to go to another table. And he goes and he sits with other people. He separates himself. Verse 13, the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So now Peter's not the only one who's separating himself. Because he has influence and he's a leader and people are looking at him and following him, They're all like, oh, Peter's going over there. Well, I want to go too. I don't want to be caught by these religious Jews and all these people of the circumcision party. I don't want to be caught uh, eating with the Gentiles. We better go too. He said, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. He's like, and that's my guy. Like, that's what Paul's like, what are you talking about? Like, Barnabas is like, my boy. Like, what do you mean? Barnabas was even led astray because of their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? He says this, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For though the law, for through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That's an awkward lunch. Because all of a sudden you've got Peter who's eating with Gentiles. It's cool until somebody walks in that's kind of important. And then all of a sudden he goes over to the other table. And instead of Paul dealing with this quietly behind closed doors, Paul says, I'm going to out you in front of everybody. And he's telling the Galatians this. He's writing this to the church in Galatia. He's letting them know, listen, guys, even if someone that you look up to and revere that's as important as Peter. If he begins to drift away from this, I'm calling him out. So I'm not picking on you. It's not that I'm just picking on you Galatians for drifting over into this message of the Judaizers. I'll even confront the apostle Peter to his face. And I did because here's what happened. He said, this is how important this is. It's not about, oh, Peter. 
And it's not about, you know, this certain group of people being elevated. He said, no, no, no. If anyone is drifting from this message of the gospel and the true gospel, I'm going to call them out on it. And I'm calling you out on it because he's wanting them to see. You guys can so easily drift back into a bubble of comfort. You're looking to somehow divide. You're looking to somehow look to yourself as someone who's better than other people because look at what we do. Yes, we have faith in Christ, but we also follow the law. We also follow all of the dietary laws. We also follow all of these other commands and all of these other things, and we separate ourselves into this little bubble. And Paul is saying, no, This is not the gospel. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives. It's no longer me who gets to dictate what life looks like from this point on. It's not me getting to choose to add something to the gospel because I have died. I've been crucified with Christ. And now the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in Christ because Christ is alive in me. And the evidence of Christ in me is that I'm willing to get outside of the bubble. I'm willing to get outside of what's comfortable, outside of my tradition, get outside of the things that I've always done and I've always retreated to, and I'm going to live and love like Christ. This is what Paul is trying to get them to see because it's the gospel that changes the way we see other people. And we begin to see less through the lines and the lens of division. And we start seeing more and more through grace and through the gospel. Here's our big idea for today. To live in Christ requires us to get out of the bubble. It's not even an option. If you're going to live in Christ, you have to get out of the bubble. You have to. I mean, yes, I understand, like, there's nothing wrong with hanging out with people that you're comfortable with and that you may feel a little safer around or what have you, or people you're more comfortable with because maybe uh, there, there's just different things you click and connect with them on. That's, that's great, but that I don't stay in that bubble. I've got to get out. I've got to get out of my comfort zone. I've got to get outside of this area of just my four and no more because if I'm doing that, I'm not living the gospel. If all I do is just stay in my bubble, I'm not truly living the gospel because I'm looking at other people through a different lens. If you only want to remain comfortable, then you've given in to fear. If your pursuit is comfort, then you're truly living in fear because fear and pride are what causes division. Just like Peter, man, even somebody who's really following Jesus like Peter, somebody who has experienced the grace of Jesus like Peter, someone who walked with Jesus like Peter, even this guy who people are looking up to, man, in the right circumstance, on the right day, in the right moment, even he began to drift away from the gospel, from the heart of the gospel. And he began to drift into what? Comfort. Why? Because of fear, because of pride. I don't want to be associated with those people. I mean, it's cool when they weren't, when, when like, you know, the people I respect and revere when they weren't around, but now that they're here, ooh. And then it began to influence other people. It affected other people. Paul said, even Barnabas, it affected a man. That what are we doing here? Are we just trying to be comfortable? Or are we just trying to appease a certain group of people by what we do, what we don't do, by who we associate with? By the things that we want to do to make ourselves feel better, you see, we're giving in to fear. Peter was afraid of not being perceived by a certain group of people a certain way, so he compromised the gospel when he segregated himself. He went back to the bubble for the wrong reason. He went back for the wrong reason. Now, I know we're not there, so don't freak out on me, okay? But over in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, okay, And we'll read it again next week. It says this. In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see he's saying listen this is not about Jew and Greek. This isn't even about male and female. This isn't even about slave or free man. This is about us being one in Christ. So what is he doing? He, the gospel's leveling the playing field. What is Paul trying to communicate 
to the churches in Galatia. He's saying, guys, we're one in Christ. This is about Christ bringing us together in Christ. Now the thing that we have in common is Christ. The thing that those who are outside of Christ have have in common is that they have a shared need of Christ and they haven't received the free gift. But all the rest of us who have received it, we're now in common union because of Christ. You see, even the beautiful thing that we celebrate here weekly at BCC when we take time to observe the elements, the juice and the the wafer that reminds us of the, the body and the blood of Jesus and we call this act communion. We call this worship act communion. We're doing this as a way to remember Christ and we're doing it in obedience and reverence and remembrance and worship to Christ. But yet as we share that as believers in Christ, what it does is it reminds us hey, I'm partaking of something that reminds me of Christ that he's in me. Just as I drink of this cup, as I eat this bread, it's it's in me. He's, He's in me. I think about that. And not only is he in me, but everyone else who is receiving communion. You're going, yeah, that's right. He's in me too. You're remembering that. And you're using those symbols as an act of worship to have something in common that unites us. It's a common union. It's communion that binds us, brings us together. All these other things, man, the world wants to use to divide us. Your age, how much money you make, what side of the tracks you live on, what you've done, what you haven't done, what your challenges are, the decisions in life you've made, all these other things, man, the world wants to use to divide us. But if you're in Christ, you are one with Christ and one with his body. Amen, church? And it changes the way I look at people. It changes the way I look at my brothers and sisters in Christ. It changes the way I treat my brothers and sisters in Christ because now I'm seeing something different and I'm seeing those who have not yet experienced that free gift of grace. I'm seeing them through a different lens and I'm wanting them to be a part of that family. You see, for these cities and for all For us to be for these cities and for us to be for all people, we must step outside of the bubble. And that doesn't mean to do acts of charity once and then feel better about ourselves and then retreat to the bubble. No, we must take a step to show someone love who cannot do anything for us in return. So what is your attitude towards those who are different than you? And how do you grow in compassion towards others different than you, those outside of the bubble? Let's read one more scripture this morning over in Matthew chapter 8. This is a story about Jesus healing a leper. And leprosy is a disease that was uh, much more feared back then than it is um, today. But it was very feared because, uh, man, you could catch it just by being around other people who had it touching them and being in proximity and all of a sudden your body would begin to get very diseased and sick to where parts of your body would begin to decay and and actually rot and they had to live in colonies and communities just with lepers and you they they would get killed and 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 if they would try to interact with other people and come within a certain proximity of them they couldn't they couldn't come within proximity they had to stay with all those who were sick And so you have all these sick, contagious people who are all just hanging out with each other. And they all have leprosy. That's what they have in communion. That they're ostracized from everyone else. That they're they're apart. They're living in darkness. And man, they're all just separated from the rest of society. Living this terrible life as they're just dying a slow death. A miserable, painful, embarrassing life slow death as they're being disfigured as they're counted as worthless as they're tossed to the side as no one wants to be around them and no one can even touch them they haven't felt the touch of a healthy normal person in in, in a long time because they can't all they've ever been touched by from the point of their sickness is sick people all they've ever interacted with is sick people. They're just all around us all the time. It's so much of a presence of their reality, and they're just constantly living in it. And then Matthew 8 happens. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 
And Jesus stretched out his hand. And what did he do, church? Touched him. And he said, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus could have healed that man from a far distance. Right? He could have. He could have said, stay over there. Leprosy guy, be healed. Now come over here. But he didn't. Jesus violated some social boundaries here and some things that bothered some people because Jesus reached out while this man was still sick. Not when he was well, while he was still sick. And he touched someone that no one else had touched in a very long time with healthy hands. He interacted with this person and engaged this person. This person had a, had a lot of courage and had a lot of faith because this person even came and tried to approach Jesus. That's a pretty bold move because this person was risking their life doing that. And all of a sudden, Jesus reached out in front of the large crowd because he did this in front of a group of people. He's making a point. He came down from the mountain. Scripture says a large crowd followed him. And here comes a guy with leprosy. Jesus, if you will, will you make me clean? Jesus, he says, I will. Touches the leper. See, church, we say we are for these cities and for all people because Jesus is for all people. Amen? Amen. You see, Jesus is for these cities. Jesus is for all people. That's why we are for these cities. That's why we are for all people. But we show this not only by what we say because, man, we say some great things at BCC, and I believe those things. We say what God has called us to do as a church, it's bigger than Sunday. It's bigger than Bettendorf. And I want it to be bigger than a slogan. Amen? I want it to be bigger than just something printed on our coffee cups. For these cities, we hand out sweaters during wintertime to our volunteers. For these cities, it's beautiful. I love it. I love the message. But I want us to live it, not just wear it. I want us to be about it. To where it's more than just something that I'm associated with, but it's something that I'm living out every single day because the gospel has impacted my life in such a way that I will show it by what I'm willing to do. Compassion is willing to go where no one else will to touch someone that no one else has. That's what compassion does. Compassion will go where... No one else is willing to go. Why? Because I'm stepping outside of my bubble, man. I'm stepping outside of what's comfortable. I'm stepping outside of what feels safe because I'm living my life with a gospel priority. I'm not just worried about sitting with certain groups of people. No, I want to be for these cities and for all people because Jesus is for all cities. He's for all people. He cares about us. Amen? And I want to care like Jesus cares. I want to love like Jesus loves. And that means in word and in deed. That means there's action behind it. So what does that mean for you today? Maybe you're in this place or you're watching online and you've been evaluating how much of my life revolves around being in this bubble. Am I prioritizing that above everything else? Just staying in what's comfortable, staying in the bubble, staying in what's easy, staying in what's familiar? Because if I've been prioritizing that, I'm missing living out the gospel. So what does that mean? What, what needs to change in our home? What needs to change in our rhythms? What's something that will challenge us to step outside of what's comfortable? What is God doing in you? Maybe even you're here this morning and you're hearing this message of hope in the gospel. And you've heard it, but you haven't stepped out and received it. Maybe today is the day where you receive the gospel by placing your faith and trust and your hope in Jesus. By saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want to I give my life to you. I want to serve you. Will you come and make me new? Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to say that to Jesus in this moment. If you make that kind of declaration of faith, we want to pray with you, man. We want to help you on this journey. We're going to have our prayer team. You guys can go ahead and come up. Prayer team. Uh, you guys can go ahead and come up. They're going to be up here on the sides. And, man, let us pray with you. We had someone baptized this morning. And guess what? In second service, we got three more people being baptized. That's awesome. Right? 
I love that. And somebody had to reach them. And that means somebody had to step out. That means that person had to step out. And maybe you're one of those people today. You need to step out. Maybe God is working some things in you today for your good, for his glory. Because we want to make an impact beyond our lifetime. We want to see the gospel declared and spread. We want to see a church full of people living out the gospel, not prioritizing our comfort. So what does that mean for, for you? What does it mean for your family? I told my wife a couple days ago, I said, I want our family to be stretched out beyond what's comfortable. And I want us to just do something. This, this whole apartment thing in Davenport has just been on my heart, man. And these people and these families have just had their lives just turned upside down and, and a few people have even lost their life unfortunately and we're praying for them and we want to find ways to walk alongside those who have to rebuild their lives and who are starting over from scratch man and who have all of this fear we want to stand with all those emergency people that are down there risking their lives and working in all this mess and people who are just hurt and angry and those who are having to stand and watch guard and hear all of this and who are having to deal with all this and the way it's impacting our community and I'm like how how, how can we right now step outside of what's comfortable right and I'm praying I'm saying God what can I do I told my wife I said I want to do something I don't know I said I know I can pray and so we had our family just go on a prayer walk just walk around and i just wanted to just just pray and see maybe god will give us an opportunity to talk to somebody maybe god will you know give us an opportunity to be able to interact with people and we interacted with a couple people and we just prayed and walked around and i just want to be outside of what's comfortable because it's easy man especially on days like yesterday because it was hot it was gross outside (laughs) (laughs) like you go outside and you instantly start sweating right and it's easy to stay in my air-conditioned home, right? It's easy to stay, but God, what, what do we need to do? What's the step we need to take? And, and, and your step is going to look different than someone else's step. But what is that step that you need to take to get out of the bubble, man? To get outside of what's comfortable and do something that's going to touch someone that no one else has touched. Maybe someone you've had a bad attitude towards or a certain group of people. Maybe there's prejudices in your heart. Maybe there's lines that have been drawn of socioeconomic barriers that maybe you're only comfortable being around certain people and you're uncomfortable around others. The Holy Spirit needs to work on you in that, man. I I struggle with those things too. I get that. I understand that. But it doesn't mean it's okay and I'm just going to go live my life and stay in the bubble. Lord, help me to take a step of courage, take a step of obedience to get outside of the bubble. Amen, church? So Lord, help us do that. We humble ourselves before you this morning, Jesus, because we declare together that we need you. We recognize you are our source. We want to consider ourselves crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. So let that light shine brighter than anything else. Help us to grow in this and be obedient and impact eternity by the way we live and the way we treat others, the way we're willing to be people who have compassion because you've loved us first. We thank you for it.